twelfth rose, the Our Father. The Our Father, or the Lord's Prayer, has great value, above all because of its author, who is neither a man nor an angel, but the King of angels and men, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. St. Cyprian says it was fitting that our Savior, by whom we were reborn into the life of grace, should also be our heavenly master, and should teach us how to pray. The beautiful order, the tender forcefulness, and the clarity of this divine prayer pay tribute to our divine master's wisdom. It is a short prayer, but can teach us so very much, and it is well within the grasp of uneducated people, while scholars find it a continual source of meditation on the mysteries of our faith. The Our Father contains all the duties we owe to God, the acts of all the virtues, and the petitions for our spiritual and corporal needs. Tertullian says that the Our Father is a summary of the New Testament. Thomas Akempis says it surpasses all the desires of all the saints, that it is a condensation of all the beautiful sayings of all the psalms and canticles, that in it we ask God for everything that we need, that by it we praise him in the very best way, that by it we lift up our souls from earth to heaven and unite them with God. St. John Chrysostom says that we cannot be our master's disciples unless we pray as he did and in the way that he showed us. Moreover, God the Father listens more willingly to the prayer that we have learned from his Son, rather than those of our own making, which have all our human limitations. We should say the Our Father with the certitude that the Eternal Father will hear it, because it is the prayer of his Son, whom he always hears, and we are his members. God will surely grant our petitions made through the Lord's Prayer, because it is impossible to imagine that such a good Father could refuse a request couched in the language of so worthy a son, reinforced by his merits, and made at his behest. St. Augustine says that whenever we say the Our Father devoutly, our venial sins are forgiven. The just man falls seven times a day, but in the Lord's Prayer he will find seven petitions which will both help him to avoid downfalls and will protect him from his spiritual enemies. Our Lord, knowing how weak and helpless we are, and how many difficulties we get into, made his prayer short and easy to say, so that if we say it devoutly, and often, we can be sure that Almighty God will quickly come to our aid. I have a word for you, devout souls, who pay little attention to the prayer that the Son of God gave us himself and asked us all to say. It is high time for you to change your way of thinking, you only like prayers that men have written. As though anybody, even the most inspired man in the whole world, could possibly know more about how we ought to pray than Jesus Christ himself. You look for prayers and books written by other men, almost as though you were ashamed of saying the prayer that our Lord told us to say. You have managed to convince yourself that the prayers in these books are for scholars and for rich people of the upper classes, and that the rosary is only for women and children of the lower classes. As if the prayers and praises which you have been reading were more beautiful and more pleasing to God than those which are to be found in the Lord's Prayer. 
It is a very dangerous temptation to lose interest in the prayer that our Lord gave us and to take up prayers that men have written instead. Not that I disapprove of prayers that the saints have written, so as to encourage the faithful to praise God, but it is not to be endured that they should prefer the latter to the prayer which was uttered by wisdom incarnate. If they ignore this prayer, it is just as though they pass up the spring to go after the brook, and, refusing the clear water, drink dirty water instead. Because the rosary made up of the Lord's Prayer and the angelic salutation is this clear and ever-flowing water which comes from the fountain of grace, whereas other prayers which they look for in books are nothing but tiny streams which spring from this fountain. People who say our Lord's Prayer carefully, weighing every word and meditating upon it, may indeed call themselves blessed, for they find therein everything that they need or can wish for. When we say this wonderful prayer, we touch God's heart at the very outset by calling him the sweet name of Father, our Father. He is the dearest of fathers, all-powerful in his creation, wonderful in the way he maintains the world, completely lovable in his divine providence, always good and infinitely so in the redemption. We have God for our Father, so we are all brothers, and heaven is our homeland and our heritage. This should be more than enough to teach us to love God and our neighbor and to be detached from the things of this world. So we ought to love our Heavenly Father and should say to him over and over again, Our Father who art in heaven, Thou who dost fill heaven and earth with the immensity of thy being, Thou who art present everywhere, Thou who art in the saints by thy glory, in the damned by thy justice, in the good by thy grace, and even in sinners by the patience with which thou dost tolerate them. Grant, we beseech thee, that we may always remember that we come from thee. Grant that we may live as thy true children ought to live, Grant that we may set our course towards thee and never swerve. Grant that we may use our every power, our hearts and souls and strength, to tend towards thee and thee alone. Hallowed be thy name. King David, the prophet, said that the name of the Lord is holy and awe-inspiring, and Isaiah that heaven is always echoing with the praises of the seraphim, who unceasingly praise the holiness of the Lord God of hosts. We ask here that all the world may learn to know and adore the attributes of our God, who is so great and so holy. We ask that he may be known, loved, and adored by pagans, Turks, Jews, barbarians, and by all infidels, that all men may serve and glorify him by a living faith, a staunch hope, a burning charity, and by renouncing all erroneous beliefs. This all adds up to say that we pray that all men may be holy, because our God himself is all holy. Thy kingdom come. Do thou reign in our souls by thy grace, so that after death we may be found meet to reign with thee in thy kingdom, in perfect and unending bliss. O Lord, we firmly believe in this happiness to come. We hope for and we expect it, 
because God the Father has promised it. In his great goodness, it was purchased for us by the merits of God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He who is the light has made it known to us. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As Tertullian says, This sentence does not in the least mean that we are afraid of people thwarting God's designs, because nothing whatsoever can happen without divine providence, having foreseen it and having made it fit into his plans beforehand. No obstruction in the world can possibly prevent the will of God from being carried out. Rather, when we say, Thy will be done, we ask God to make us humbly resigned to all that he has seen fit to send us in this life. We also ask him to help us do in all things and at all times his holy will, made known to us by the commandments, promptly, lovingly, and faithfully, as the saints and angels do it in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Our Lord taught us to ask God for everything that we need, whether in the spiritual or temporal order. By asking for our daily bread, we humbly admit to our own poverty and insufficiency and pay tribute to our God, knowing that all temporal goods come from His divine providence. When we say bread, we ask for that which is just necessary to live, and of course this does not include luxuries. We ask for this bread today, this day, which means that we are concerned only for the present, leaving the morrow in the hands of providence. And when we ask for our daily bread, we recognize that we need God's help every day, and that we are entirely dependent upon Him for His help and protection. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Every sin, say St. Augustine and Tertullian, is a debt which we contract towards Almighty God, and His justice demands payment down to the very last farthing. Unfortunately, we all have these sad debts. No matter how many they may be, we should go to God in all confidence and with true sorrow for our sins, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, forgive us our sins of thought and those of speech. Forgive us our sins of commission and omission, which make us infinitely guilty in the eyes of thy divine justice. We dare to ask this because thou art our loving and merciful Father, and because we have forgotten those who have offended us, out of obedience to thee and out of charity. Do not permit us, in spite of our infidelity to thy graces, to give in to the temptations of the world, the devil, and the flesh. But deliver us from evil. The evil of sin, and also of temporal punishment, and everlasting punishment, which we know that we have rightly deserved. Amen. So be it. This word at the end of the Our Father is very consoling, and St. Jerome says that it is a sort of seal of approbation that Almighty God puts at the end of our petitions to assure us that He will grant our requests, very much as though He Himself were answering, Amen. May it be as you have asked, for verily you have obtained what you asked for. This is what is meant by the word, Amen. <laughs>